um, I have a brother, some of you will know, I have a brother, um, he's a couple of years younger than me, um, actually a shout out to my brother, um, he listens and watches uh, every week on YouTube or on a podcast, um, but uh, Ben and I, when we were growing up, we played a lot of sport together, and we played some organised sport, but we played a lot a backyard sport. Every day after school, weekends, it was always a backyard game of footy or cricket, uh, tennis, basketball, kind of whatever we could imagine. Um, um, but of course, if you've ever played backyard sport, like you can never play a full game of sport in a backyard, right? We had a kind of smallish backyard. And so we always played these sort of adapted games of cricket or these sort of games loosely based on football. And of course, there's only two of you. So, you know, you couldn't kind of play teams. And so there were all these adaptations we made. So chairs became fielders in our game of backyard cricket. Um, the lines on the natural lines on the concrete, well, they became the in and the out lines for our game of backyard tennis, even if it meant that the, the courts were, were not sort of rectangular shaped, they became, they became square shaped because that's just the way the concrete was. Um, veranda poles became the goals for the game of football and you kind of get how it goes. But it wasn't just the, the way we played, there were all of these sort of rules. And if you know, backyard sport, like you always have your own rules, don't you? Um, in our house, on the roof was out, um, over the fence was six and out, and you had to be the one to go and ask the old grumpy neighbour next door to throw the ball back. Um, we would lay the garden hose out in our game of cricket, and if you hit the ball beyond the garden hose, it was an automatic single, because um, no one wanted to run when you know, you're the bowler, so there's no fielders, and the chairs were really bad at throwing the ball back to the bowler. <laughs> Um, and and that's, kind of the way, that's kind of the way backyard sport went for us. But have you ever played backyard sport with someone who changes the rules as they go along? Anyone know that? Uh, my brother, there was a kid who lived down the street from us. And uh, we used to go to his house after school at primary school. Um, uh, our mum was a, a relief teacher, so if she had a day relief teaching, we would walk home uh, with this other guy, with Michael, and we'd, we'd play sport, and we'd kind of hang out at his place after school, and we'd, we'd always play sport, you know, backyard footy and cricket at his place. But he had a habit of changing the rules. And no matter how we got him out, every time we got him out playing cricket, he would announce some new rule that meant that he actually wasn't out. Um, because you couldn't get caught out in those circumstances because he got another chance because of this or because of that. And it seemed that just no matter how hard we tried, no matter how hard we tried to obey his rules of backyard cricket, we never seemed to quite be able to master the rules. Do you know what I'm talking about? Welcome to Oshwork. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to Oshwork. Yeah. And, and you know... Life sometimes feels a bit like that, doesn't it? It feels a bit like that game of backyard cricket where you, just when you think you understand the rules of life, they seem to change on you. And just when you think you're doing it all right, just when you think you've, you've ticked all the boxes and you've got it all right, the rules change and you feel like you've failed again. <laughs> We're in... Uh, uh, we're in a series where we're walking through the book of Galatians in our Bibles. Um, if you've just 
join the series. You can catch up online, as we say each week. All of our messages are on YouTube and they're on Spotify and they're on Apple Podcasts. But a quick catch up of where we've been so far. Um, we've said we've said each week that Galatians, we call it a book, but it's not a book. It was a letter that Paul wrote in about 49 AD to a group of churches in an area called Galatia. That's why it's called Galatians. They were the people who lived in Galatia. It's in what we call modern day Turkey now, if you look on a map. These are churches that Paul himself had started. He'd travelled through the area a year or two beforehand. He'd shared the good news of Jesus as people had come to faith in Jesus. He'd effectively organised them into little churches, probably what, like what we would call sort of house churches. They didn't have buildings. They were meeting in people's homes. And Paul's moved on and it's a year or two later and he hears on the grapevine that other people have come into these churches and they're teaching these new baby Christians in Galatia that if they want to follow Jesus, they've also got to follow all the Jewish rituals and rules and religious practices. That if they want to become Christian, effectively, they've also got to become Jewish in the process. And so these little churches in Galatia are starting to follow Jewish religious holidays and special feast days. They're starting to follow some of the eating rules that the, uh, that the early Jews, that the ancient Jews had. They're starting to get themselves circumcised. As Don't even think about what that means as an adult, but they're starting, uh, guys, to get themselves circumcised because someone said, if you want to be a good Jew, you've got to be circumcised. And Paul hears about what's going on and he is mad. He is mad. He is frustrated. He is angry about what's going on. And Galatians is the letter that he writes back to these churches to um, sort of refocus them on the truth of the message of Jesus and to set things straight about the way life should be lived as a Christian. Because Paul can't believe that the Galatians are following now and have adapted and adopted all of these extra rules. Galatians 1 verse 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you. Galatians 1 verse 9, as we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. He can't believe they're adding these rules and traditions to their faith. Galatians 3.3, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit, you're now trying to finish by means of the flesh. You started so well, why are you trying to finish in a different way than the way that you started? And Paul argues that non-Jews, they were called Gentiles by the Jews. That was a kind of name for everyone who was not a Jew. It was like us and the rest. That non-Jews, that the Gentiles don't have to become Jews in order to follow Jesus. That anyone can have faith in Jesus. God sees everyone the same. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And last week we read Paul saying that everyone who follows Jesus is a child of God. That God will become a father and will see everyone who follows him as his children. He doesn't have sort of first class children and second class children, that he sees everyone as his child. And today Paul's going to go on in his, in his pretty passionate argument as he tries to help the Galatians and maybe us 
to see the simple freedom that comes in a life focused on Jesus and nothing else. So we're going to pick up Paul's letter in chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4. Um, if you've got a Bible, please open it. If you've got a phone with your Bible on it, go there. Um, because we're going to walk through uh, a stack of the scripture from Galatians chapter 4. So we're going to begin in uh, Galatians chapter 4 verse 8, which is right where we left off last week. Let me read a little to you and then we're going to sort of skim through the rest of the chapter. Galatians 4.8 Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by very nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Paul says that, that before you knew God, it's like you were slaves to other things. You know, you were trying to get through life by following certain habits. You had, you had your own kind of rituals and your own traditions, things that you did to try and make life work for you. Things that you did to try and make God or the gods, however you saw them, to try and make God or the gods kind of think good of you and give you good things in life. You were trying to do certain things and not do certain things. You know, trying to, trying to be a nice person and, and, you know, do enough good things so that the gods would look down on you and smile and do good things by you. He said, but, but these things, all of these, all of these checkboxes, all of these things that you were trying to do and not do, whatever, it's like you were enslaved to those things. Those things sort of came to have almost some control over you because you spent so much time trying to do good things and trying to be the right person. It was like you're enslaved to that lifestyle. And he's saying, why are you going back to living that way? You know, now that, you've, now that you've met Jesus, now that you understand what life's with him, like, why would you go back to try and live that way? Would you, why would you go back to being controlled by those sorts of things again? He says in verse 10, you've even started following all of those, all of those Jewish, those, those religious special days and seasons and years again. Verse 11, I, he said, I'm worried that I wasted my time, that all that time I spent, all that time I spent telling you about the freedom that comes in Jesus, did I waste my time? He said, and he said, you're so passionate about these things. Verse 18, it's fine to be zealous. It's another word for passion. He says, it's fine to be zealous, provided that the purpose is good. He's saying, but your purpose is not good. The, the things that you've got excited about are, are not things that are going to bring you freedom. They're things that are going to sort of drag you back into this kind of slavery. And then in verse 21, Paul's going to jump back into another example from Abraham's life. We talked about Abraham a couple of years ago. He lived, uh, uh, he lived a long time before Paul, generations, generations, generations before Paul. But he was sort of, he was the original hero of the Jewish faith. And Paul says that Abraham had children by two women, uh, by one woman, um, Hagar, who was a slave, and then by one woman, Sarah, who was free. 
He says in verse 24, so I'm speaking figuratively here. He's saying, so, so it's like one of the children, one of Abraham's children was born into slavery. Ishmael, because he was born to Hagar, who was a slave. And he said, and it's like the other child, the other one of Abraham's children was born into freedom. That was Isaac because he was born to Sarah, who was his wife, who was free. Now, I know now you're starting to kind of glaze over because it's a bit like, I don't get this. I don't know who these people are. But, but the, the Jews who Paul was originally writing this to, they got exactly the point he was trying to make. Because the Jews believed that their whole nation came from Isaac. Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob, and then from Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons and they became the 12 tribes of Israel. The point Paul's making is that the foundation of the Jewish faith was founded, if you think about these, these two children from these two women, it's like he's saying to them, but, but you, the nation of Israel, you the Jews, you came from freedom, not from slavery. You get what he's saying? He's, he's saying, like, you're now in all of this, like, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. But your whole basis came not from slavery, but from freedom. Verse 28, now you brothers and sisters like Isaac are children of promise. And in verse 31, he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Jump down to chapter 5, verse 1. Paul brings all of this together when he says, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. He's saying the whole point of Jesus' life and death and resurrection is to set us free. The whole point of the life and the death and the resurrection is to set us free from the need to obey all of those rules to get right with God. It's to set us free from the need to try and be a good person so that God will like me. It's to, it's to set us free from having to kind of hope that I've done enough good things in this life for God to give me a green light at the end of it. He said, because that's how so many people are living. And Jesus came to say, I'm going to set you free from all that. And Paul's saying, but if you start inventing new rules, if you start creating your own traditions and your own you've got to do this and your own you can't do that, it's like you're turning away from that freedom and it's like you're going back to the kind of slavery that Jesus died to pull you out of. Does that make sense? Chapter 5, verse 2. If you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. He's saying if you return to all of these things, uh, if, you, if you return to these things in a way that says, I want to do these things so that God will love me, it's like Christ's death had no value to you at all. Verse 4, trying to be justified by the law, uh, you've been alienated from Christ. He's saying, look, if you now go and try and be a good person, so that God will love you. It's like in doing that, it's like you're separating yourself, you're alienating yourself from, from, from Jesus and from what he did for, for you. 
Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Sorry, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's Paul saying as clearly as he can that none of those things that the Galatians were doing, none of those things have any value to Jesus at all. He doesn't look at any of those things and say, well, that's a good, that's a tick for you. He's saying the only thing, the only thing that counts to Jesus is faith expressing itself through love. We've talked about this before to say that Jesus took all of those old rules and he, he, he rewrote the whole rule book and he rewrote it with one rule and one rule only, love. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself. It's Matthew chapter 22, 36 to 40 if you're taking notes. And then Paul turns his attention in the letter um, to those who are teaching the rules. And he wants to say something to them in verse 9. He says, the one who's throwing you into confusion, so the one who's doing this teaching, uh, the one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. He's saying there are, there, there, you know, there, there are kind of bad things coming uh, for those who are teaching this stuff. And then verse 12, which has got to be one of my favourite verses in the whole Bible. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. He says, as for those agitators, as for those who are stirring you up, as for those who are stirring up this thing, as for those who are stirring you up and who are talking about circumcision, I wish they would go the whole way. And if you don't know what emasculate yourself is, he's saying, I wish they would go the whole way and just cut it off. It's in the Bible. So I'm just, it's in the Bible. You should read the Bible more. It's just fantastic stuff in the Bible. I mean, Paul is like, he's being pretty harsh, right? He's going, if you want to do this, if you want to run around and tell people, you've got to be circumcised if you want to love Jesus. He's saying, I wish those people themselves. And anyway, it's enough of that. <laughs> We've just skimmed through a whole lot of Bible and some of it's pretty complicated. And, and I get that you could kind of listen to this and, and you know, it all washes over. Um, but I figure if, if we're going to look at the book of Galatians, I wanted to kind of at least skim through like all of it. Do you know what I mean? It's so easy with a book like this just to skip a chunk and go, well, we won't talk about that. We'll just go to the kind of highlight verses. But of course, it still leaves you with this question, like, what does all this mean to me? Right? What am I supposed to do with all this? How does, how does all this talk about circumcision and rules and slavery and freedom? Like, I'm going to go back to my life after church today, right? I'm going to go to uni tomorrow. I'm going to go to my work. I'm going to go to school. I've got a job to do. Like, I don't even know any Galatians. Uh, I'm certainly not one. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with all of this? Here's the point that Paul's trying to make and here's the point that hopefully lands with us. Is that you don't have to keep a bunch of rules and a bunch of laws in order for God to love you. You don't, you don't have to be good enough. You don't have to tick enough boxes. You don't have to do enough nice things to get right with God. 
The God's not waiting for you, uh, you know, not waiting for you to get enough points on the scorecard before he'll talk to you. He's not waiting for you to do enough good deeds or to stop doing enough bad deeds before you can be in his family. And the point that Paul wants the Galatians to understand, and it's important for us to understand too, is that Jesus has already done everything that was needed in order for you to get right with God. When Jesus was on the cross, and we talk about this all the time, but it's so important in our faith. When Jesus was on the cross, in that moment somehow, and it's hard for us to understand, somehow in that moment, he took on all of your sin, all of your mess, all the, all the, the, the negative and bad and nasty things that you've done and all the negative and bad and nasty things that have been done to you. In that moment on the cross, he took all of that on himself like a sponge. He sort of absorbed all of that. And as he died on that cross, all of that stuff died with him. And then as he rises again three days later into new and full and sinless life, it's like in that moment he opens the door and makes a way for you to rise with him again. It's what, I mean, in Jesus' own words when he says it's like being born again. It's like in that moment, in the moment of the resurrection, there is a whole new life that is available for you. It's an invitation that Jesus makes to you to experience this whole new life that is free, that is free from the burden of sin, that is free from the burden of all that stuff that's been done to you, all of that stuff that you've done from others, but it's also free from the need for you to try and please God. It's free from the need for you to sort of strive and to try harder and to try harder to be a good person so that God might look down on you and say, well done, you're okay. And sadly, so many of us, we still look at life with God like a driving test. You know, you drive and you drive and, and, and you just hope that you get to the end and the guy, uh, the driving instructor says, well, you know, you, you, you passed this and you failed this. But, you know, you've just done enough to get by and to get your license. You know, that's all anyone cares about. You know, you know, you've done some things wrong, but you're just hoping you've done enough things right. You're just hoping you've done enough things right. You're just hoping you haven't made enough mistakes. You haven't made too many mistakes to fail. You know, there's some mistakes, but you just want to be good enough. Someone once said that life with Jesus isn't about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. Have you heard that sort of phrase? It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. And Paul wants the Galatians to know that there is a choice in life. And it's a choice that we have today too. It's a, it's a choice that says that you can keep living life, checking the boxes, keep living life by trying to be a good person, keep living life by obeying all the rules. But that leads to a life of, it's like a life of slavery. That's the image he uses. Because you're just bound up by, you know, you'll never quite be good enough. You know what it's like? I mean, lots of us know what that feels like. 
You, get, you feel like you can never quite do enough good things. Like you've always, you've always just done one too many bad things. And, and I'll try and I'll be better tomorrow. And Paul's saying to the Galatians and to us, we have a choice. We can live like that. We can keep living like that. Or we can go back to living like that. Or we can live accepting the freedom that Christ has provided for us through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. We can live our lives uh, accepting his free offer of forgiveness, accepting his free offer of new life, where where we are then free from having to, to check all the boxes and follow all the rules, that we are free then to love God with all of our heart, with all of our souls, knowing that the only the only rule that we have to follow now is to love, to love God and to love others. Galatians is a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. It's a reminder. It's a reminder for all of us, whether you believe in Jesus or not. It's a reminder that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. But Galatians is also a warning. It's a warning to watch out for those extra rules, those little things that so easily sneak into our life. And I get it. You're probably not sitting here this morning thinking, circumcision, should I do that or not? I get that, right? That's not our thing. That's what the Galatians were all about. That's not our thing. But let's be honest, and we don't kind of say this out loud, but a lot of us know what it's like to live thinking, If I could just clean up my language a bit, God would love me more. You know? If I just watched a bit less of this on TV and a bit more of that, God would love me more. If I hung out with these kind of people more, you know, the nice people, God would love me more. If I donated a little bit more money, If I bought a little bit less of this, if I did a little bit more of this, if I could just stop this, if I could just start this, God would smile on me a little bit more. He'd frown on me just a little bit less. What Paul's talking about here is not just like an intellectual idea. He's not talking about something that you just think about on the weekends. On Sunday. Paul's talking about the way we live. He's being as practical as he can with the Galatians and saying, this is about the way you live from day to day to day. This is about how you are at work. This is about the way you talk at school. This is about the way you act with your mates. This is about what you do at uni. And Paul's asking, why do you do the things that you do? Are are you doing things in a way that's trying to make God love you? That's trying to make you look like a good person before God? Because if I'm a good person before God, then I guess he'll give me more good stuff in my life, right? That sort of makes sense, doesn't it? My finances are more likely to balance if I'm a good person, aren't they? You know, I'm more likely to get that new job if, if I'm nice to someone this week. Things will go better with my kids if I donate a little bit more money to church on the weekend. 
No one says that out loud, but we live like that, right? Or at least it's so easy to live like that. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. That's exactly the mindset, the kind of behavior that Paul's talking about. And he's trying to say there's nothing. When he says there's neither Jew nor free, uh, Greek, slave nor free, you know, nothing can separate. He's saying that there's nothing that you can do that's going to make God love you any more than he already does. Because whatever the scale is, 1 to 10, 1 to 100, whatever it is, if it's 1 to 100, God already loves you at 100%, right? There's no gap. There's nothing that God's holding back from you, just, just waiting and hoping that you'll get things right. But there's also nothing you can do that's going to make God love you any less. Oh, it's like, like I do stuff all the time and I think, man, if I was God, I'd just be shaking my head going, Matt, you've done that thing again, right? Matt, you're thinking that thing again. Matt, you said that thing again. But Paul wants us to know that is not how God sees us. Jesus has already done everything that needed to be done so that you could be right with God. Jesus has already dealt with all of the bad thoughts, with all of the stuff that you've said, with all those things that you've done that you hope no one else ever knows that you've done, with all of those, with all of those things that you're going to do. Right? Because no matter, no matter how you sit here and go, you know what, I'm going to try, I'm, this week, I'm going to get it right this week. You're not, right? We all know that. With all of those things that you're going to do, some of them you're going to do by accident, and let's be honest, some of them you're going to do just darn deliberately, right? Because you want to do them. Jesus has dealt with all of those things, and he's died for those things. And Paul's saying, the choice now is yours. Do you want to live in the, the word he uses, slavery? Do you want to live in the slavery of trying and trying and trying? Or do you want to accept the gift of freedom? The gift of freedom that comes in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Accept what Jesus did for you on the cross and focus your life just on that. And know that you don't have to do anything. And it, it doesn't mean that you can kind of just go do whatever you want. I mean, as Christians then, in response to that, we live these lives of love. You know, we, we're just so incredibly grateful, so just blown away by what God did for us, that we love him with all of our heart. We, you know, we, we're so generous toward him and we love others. But we're not loving others so that we can kind of tick the box. And we're loving others because we just want other people to experience the wonder of God that has changed our lives. It just, it just kind of, you get it? Like the whole sort of motivation for doing it is completely flipped around. And Paul's saying, you've got a choice. He's saying to the Galatians, don't go back to living that way. Remember the freedom that Christ offered you and live in that. And that's the choice that we have today. It's the choice that this church is founded on. And it's the choice that is, uh, that is our sort of our desire, if you like, to make known and to make available to every person we possibly can.
the invitation from Jesus to come and live forgiven and free with him. To leave behind all of that trying and all of that hoping and all of that striving and to live in the freedom of the forgiveness of Jesus. Thank you.